0: San Francisco Department of Building Inspection Brown Bag Lunch Series. This is the third Thursday, and you're always invited to join us on the third Thursday here at the Department of Building Inspection. Today we have a special program about San Francisco's neighborhood geology, and we have with us Frank Rollo, a geotechnical engineer, who's going to walk us through a lot of this, and Mr. Harvey Hacker, who's an architect who knows a lot of the history of the city and. Keeps his eyes open and has a lot of information to share and good questions. I am Lawrence Cornfield, chief building inspector, and we're going to go through this by having Frank give us a brief overview of the geology of San Francisco, and then we're going to look at a series of slides around the city and talk about what we see and how the geology of the city affects the built environment and uh, some of the special problems and special issues that arise and try and answer the questions as we go, uh, particularly related to how does the built environment relate to the underlying geology of the city. Um, And those are questions that rarely get asked. So this is a chance for you to join us and ask your questions about that as well. So welcome, Frank, and I see you brought a big, uh, is this an aerial? photo with overlaid geology, is that what I see?
1: Yes, it is. It's a, it's a Google map with overlaid geology. And it depicts the different colors, depict the different formations and or deposits that are present beneath San Francisco. Uh, first thing that we should know is that San Francisco is a young, is, is a young environment. It's uh, approximately 40 to million years old.
0: Doesn't sound young to me, I Well, guess, when you say.
1: compare it to my age or the, <laughs> the age of the earth, which is four billion, it's a relatively young environment. The, the basement rock beneath San Francisco is known as the Franciscan Complex or Franciscan Formation, and it, it, it outcrops throughout the city, most notably uh, Twin Peaks, uh, Edge Hill, Telegraph Hill. And every once in a while you hear about those that make the news about the rock fall or a landslide. And those usually occur in in the Telegraph Twin Peaks area. Above the rock are soil deposits. There's approximately six of them. The most common is dune sand. And dune sand is nothing but rock that's been worn down from the Sierras, got deposited along the beaches. And then the wind blew that dune sand over most of the city. And it's this mustard-looking color. And it's as you get out into the avenues, it's very, very thick.
0: How thick? About?
1: It can be up to 400 feet thick. Wow. Uh, as you move south and as you cross Sloth Boulevard, that's the Colma Formation. It was. It was named after its first discovery uh, in Colma at the cemeteries by a guy by the name of Bonilla, who works for the United States Geological Survey, who happened to be out there and noticed that this material was unique. And uh, he started mapping it and traced it all the way up to what is now Sloat.
0: What, what makes that different than sand? Dune uh, the sand.
1: dune sand is generally, has the consistency of sugar. It's fine grain, it's fine grain sand. It's usually loose, uh, it's poorly graded. The colma formation can be that same sand, but it's denser, it ha- can have clay in it, so it's much stronger. It's an excellent supporting material. The other thing is the dune sand is about 10, up to 10,000 years old. The colma is approximately 40 to 60,000 years old. And in some areas, It can be as as old as 130,000. And then, as you move across the city, as you get to the borders, you get fill placed that was uh, in ground that was originally underwater, Uh, and that fill sits on top of what's called bay mud. Bay mud is a very weak clay, has the consistency of jello. Maybe jello that's been left in the refrigerator two or three days. Uh, It's weak. It's not good for foundation support. And then on other areas, the yellows and stuff, those are called residual soil. They're either a product of the weathering of the underlying rock, or they can be colluvium. Colluvium is soil that's been deposited by gravity. As the rock weathered, gravity just pushed it down the hill. So basically, San Francisco, dune sand, coma formation, residual and colluvium, fill over bay mud. Very simple. What complicates San Francisco is that because it's so young, it's, 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 it's uh, riddled by faults. And I have a map here that shows the faults that cross the Bay Area and San Francisco. Obviously, the granddaddy of them all is the, is the San Andreas Fault. It's the longest. It can generate the greatest earthquake.
0: Which goes offshore just south of San Francisco. So right down here someplace. Yes. It, it goes uh, offshore. And and runs. from
1: my house to the fault is about three miles. I live in the avenues. Uh
0: The closest area in San Francisco to the fault is this this little area here in the southwest part of the city. And people say the closer you are to the fault, there are some sort of near-fault conditions that exacerbate earthquake issues and hazards when you're close to the fault.
1: The fault's effects on development depends on the type of development, the height of the development, and the soil type. And we can get into that later on, I'm sure, during questions. The, 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 The key thing is that the San Andreas is the main fault, but there's the Hayward Fault. The difference between the Hayward and the San Andreas, the San Andreas is predominantly offshore in populated areas. The Hayward Fault actually crosses beneath populated areas and poses a larger threat. Right now, as we speak, there is a 67% probability of a major earthquake on one of these faults in the next 30 years. So that's a very, very high probability.
0: When they say major earthquake, what, what, what does that mean?
1: About a magnitude 6.5. Uh, the 1906 was 7.9. The 1957 earthquake, I don't know if many of you were here in 1957, but it was a 5.7 earthquake on, on the San Andreas. The Loma Prieta was a 7.1, but it was so far away that we got very little effects of it. Anyway, that's an overview of the geology and seismicity of the city.
0: I would like to put up a, a really wonderful old chart map of San Francisco in the eighteen, fifties or 60s? 53. And let's look at this sort of northeast corner of the city, really interesting, and I'm sure Frank has a lot to say about it, but the thing that I always find absolutely surprising about this is that there's this large area called Mission Bay, and here out in the middle of the bay is Mission Rock. Now, many of you have been to Mission Rock Resort, or, or over there by the San Francisco Boat Works and the Ramp Restaurant. This is part of the shoreline now, but look how far offshore it was in the 1850s. Um, this has all been filled, so many of these areas are now filled. and.
1: Frank, do you uh, want to talk a little bit about yeah. that uh, this is uh, this is Montgomery Street and of course now we have the Embarcadero and of course the marina all that land really ties to I guess this if we could look at this map Oop, okay. in relation to this map all right this is the infamous this map that is being brought out now is the infamous perhaps if I can stand yeah you.
0: you stand in the middle we this go.
1: is the infamous, Uh, liquefaction map and as you can see the green areas are all the areas that will potentially there's a potential that liquefaction will occur. What is liquefaction? Liquefaction is a sudden loss of strength of material when it's subjected to vibrations. It it, It occurs in sands it can occur at silts and those sands or silts have to be saturated or below the groundwater level. And and you can almost tie this map. Here's 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 Mission Bay, which is this area right here. Is is the same as this area right here? And it because it's all filled, it will liquefy. Here's the marina. The marina is in this area right here. So it you can correlate the advancement of the shoreline of San Francisco with the potential for liquefaction.
2: looks like Treasure Island is a perfect example. It's all fill and it's all liquefaction. Yeah.
1: Treasure Island is unique because Treasure Island was originally developed to be the location of the World Fair with the understanding that once the fair was completed or finished, that would become the location of San Francisco International Airport. It's 11,000 feet long, and in those days, they figured 11,000 feet more than enough to land any conceivable airplane. So they said this is ideal, and what they did was they said we have all kinds of this sand out in the bay from the Sacramento River dumping in at this location, so we'll just take this, we'll scoop the sand out of the bay and create this island. Well, the sand is all loose. It's all below the water. And it liquefied in 1957. It liquefied in, in uh, uh, 1989 during Loma Prieta. It, there was sand boils, bubbles, everything occurred there, similar to what happened in the marina.
0: Oh, as they move along and develop Treasure Island, the, the developer also has to provide some kinds of sto- soil stabilization programs.
1: Uh, absolutely. The sand has to be strengthened so that it won't liquefy and the buildings have to gain support below the sands in, in more competent material. We were talking
0: earlier about the waterfront, and here is the ferry building, the intersection of the water and the land. Is the is the area where the ferry building now is, was that a soil or was that filled area, Frank?
1: That's a filled area. What they did to what what they did to create the embarcadero, may I go back sure, to sure, the sure, geology sure. map? Sure. What they did to create the embarcadero. They said, you know what? We have all this wonderful rock being exposed in what is called Telegraph Hill. We will mine we will mine Telegraph Hill. We will take the rock from Telegraph Hill and we'll build a levee along the outboard edge and we'll fill behind the levee. So they took blasted the rock, which was illegal, but they did it anyway. And they took the rock and they built a, a rock dike all along the Embarcadero and then they filled behind it. So, and beneath the fill is a layer of this bay mud, this weak, compressible clay that has a consistency of jello. And at, as you approach the shoreline, that layer of weak clay can be as thick as 110 feet.
2: So is the dike itself founded on the bay mud?
1: The dike itself is founded on the bay mud. Uh, fortunately, when they dumped the rocks into the bay mud, it's like dumping a, a, a rock into jello. It went flop. So it—that's a geotechnical term. It actually went down into the mud a sufficient depth so that they could build off of that, and it remained and then it took what it's called the angle of repose its own angle of repose and it's stable and then what we did is we came we people of san francisco came and we built piers on piles over the top of the dike out into the water and
0: let's almost. see if we see uh, i think we like that there you go there's piers being built out over the water
1: those piles go down through the bay mud and meet refusal. Refusal is when you can't advance the pile any longer. In the coma formation, which is the same formation that's in the surface here, is under the bay mud way over there. And they meet refusal in the coma, and they gain their support in end bearing, and then you build on top. There's an example of where they, where you can see the condition. Salt water attacks concrete. And in the old days, they didn't have as good an understanding as we do today on the effects of salt water chloride, basically, on concrete and on steel. So a lot of these piles, which may have started out 24 inches in diameter, are maybe now only 8 or 10 inches in diameter, and whatever steel was in them is long gone.
0: And all along the waterfront, we have
1: wonderful old buildings. Great hamburgers.
0: And a double dog and a, and a beer, right? Isn't that the Don't specialty of Red's that. Java House? <laughs> <laughs> this is a really wonderful slide because it shows them having stripped off the entire back of a building along the waterfront at Pier uh, a one and a half, I think it is. Yeah, that's the, uh, yes. Built it. And putting new piles to replace the old uh, damage. That's pile. the
1: location of what is now the uh, San Francisco Port Authority? Yeah, the port's
0: offices are in, in here. And there's a new restaurant right in there. And a, yeah. and a slip. And this is one of the few places, by the way, where they have recently provided a small boat docking along the waterfront. There are very few places, if you're out in a recreational boat, that you can stop along the waterfront. And they built a brand new public dock here. It's great. Whoa, so we're down near the waterfront. What do we have going on here?
1: This is uh, many areas of San Francisco. The the fill and bay mud are shallow enough that working with the, the owner we can convince the owner that maybe he could use some below-grade parking, and we make the decision to go deep below the surface and put the building on a matte foundation. Well, let me, let me back up here. and there are, there are several foundation types in San Francisco. The one that was used in the 1800s was what's called a wood grillage. One of the blessings of, of California is that we have so many trees. So they would just chop down trees, and they would lay Lincoln logs. The same principle: they would lay Lincoln logs. They'd make the excavation, and they would lay Lincoln logs, and they would build a what's called a redwood grillage. Redwood, fortunately, isn't that uh, the termites can't attack it, and it and it, it lasts hundreds of years.
0: What the building code says: wood with a natural resistance to decay, and they just. Uh, the new foundation under the Belli Building, one of these very old buildings, and there it was—the old redwood grillage that they pulled up. Some of it still entirely intact, and put in a new foundation.
1: And then the second most common foundation, as we as we move forward, cement came along, and and uh, we started using concrete. So the second most common foundation is the typical spread footing. Everywhere in the Sunset, all our homes, all the buildings, are rest on just a typical spread-type footing. And a spread-type footing just takes the load that comes down and spreads it out over a larger area. That's why it's called a spread footing. As the soil types get more and more difficult, we start looking at uh, foundations that may still be spread. A spread-type foundation, such as a mat. A mat is basically a, a... blob of concrete that may cover the whole entire site and is thick enough so that if it tries to move it moves as a unit as opposed to individual as opposed to individual footings and that's called a mat eventually as you move closer and closer to the shoreline and where you cannot get economically justify a basement we use piles and piles are the most expensive where we drive The old days, again, we used to take trees, turn them upside down, and drive them until they stopped. With concrete, we went to circular piles, then we went to square piles, and now we have auger cast and micro piles, and we have numerous pile types that can be tailored to the actual conditions that exist at the site. This particular case, They are making an excavation, and they're in rock. As as I, as we pointed out, there are some parts of San Francisco where rock is shallow, so they can go down and they can grab the rock, and they then put a mat foundation on the rock, and they can build a 60-story tower. Perfect example of this is as you come across, as you approach the Bay Bridge, on your left there is that tall, slender building called Rincón, One Rincón Hill. That's 63 stories tall. It has a basement, and it sits on a mat foundation in rock. If you look over to the left of that, you see the infinity. It has the shape of the infinity sign. That's a rock site. They dug down, put it on rock. As you move north, you come to the Southern Pacific Building or the Embarcadero Centers or the Transamerica Tower, there rock is deep. Rock is 40 to 60 feet deep. But the decision was made that, gosh, we need parking. So they elected to dig down to the dense supporting soil and build a mat foundation on the dense material below the bay mud. So that's a rock site. That's a rock excavation that gray stuff that you see around the perimeter that's a temporary shoring system part of the temporary shoring system that retains the walls of the excavation and prevents the buildings other buildings from falling into the hole
0: Harvey and I took this where are we Harvey
2: we were driving around the marina Um, the we're looking over the perfectly flat marina green at the whole marina area which is also perfectly flat because it was artificial fill for the 1915 exposition
1: that's correct it was hydraulic sand pumped in from the bay same principle they built a dike on the outboard edge, and then they pumped the sand in and as we all know in 1989 a lot of damage Lawrence can speak to the concept of Soft story. You have the soft story problem with the building, and you have the liquefiable soil, and they're in perfect concert with each other, and you get major damage. Some cases collapse, and that's the subject of a. I guess we did a, we did a video of that. What about a year ago? We you did, know?
0: yeah. 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 So we, we try and pick up all the hazards. We'll get them. one And that's morning, the
1: Exploratorium, and that it it's supported on wood piles that go through the liquefiable material and uh, just recently has been seismically strengthened to resist larger earthquakes.
0: Moving up the marina to the Crissy Field area, what's happening up at Crissy Field? Is this natural? This was recreation of the natural uh, landscape, I understand. Is that right?
1: Well, yes, but Fourth Point, remember, Fourth Point is a nat- sits on rock. There's a natural rock outcrop there, so that's rock. The material in front of Crissy Field was a uh, reclaimed land. Uh, Crissy Field is all reclaimed. It was the original airport for San Francisco. It was about 4,000 feet long, and in those days they they had these small propeller planes, and it was adequate. And, of course, the bridge itself is supported on caissons that go to rock. There we are. Telegraph Hill is probably the best example of Franciscan complex rock. It's predominantly sandstone and shale. Telegraph Hill was the shape of... uh, of a dome. It was dome-shaped. Because they needed, because San Francisco was growing, because they needed a dike, they allowed miners to come in and open up quarries. And uh, they blasted, uh, They had no concern about environmental issues. They had no concern about the, how they would leave the quality of the rock. As a, as a result, they opened up fractures in the rock, and, and even today, we are paying for their, quote, negligence and their mining negligence. We, we read just uh, last year where fences. 455 Vallejo, there was a rock slide. It, it affected properties on Broadway and Montgomery. Well, that rock slide occurred because of blasting that occurred back in the turn of the century, That left the rock weak, and 100 years later, that weak rock couldn't stand there anymore, and it fell. This slide is along Sansom Street, where the city chose to protect Sansom and the cars that park along there, and they built this catchment wall. The sole purpose of this wall is to catch rocks that fall from private property up above.
0: And every year or two, we get a call saying we've had rocks that have fallen down, spilled out onto the road, and rolled down to the next block. Exactly. This is the Alta Street slide where we had a building at the top fall. This This is the 22 Alta Street building. This was a a watercolor done in 1945 by David Mandelowitz, who then ended up teaching art at Stanford for his career. And here you can see where the the very steep hill was blasted away. And this building just gradually started falling, sliding down. uh, they, in the 90s? They,
1: yes. What happened is they had to re- replace Alta Street, which is right there. And in the process of jackhammering out the old street, they weakened the rock that a rock fall occurred and undermined the building. And once the building was undermined, it was no longer safe to occupy. And this decision was made to remove the building. And if you recall, it made headlines. It was a little building that wouldn't. and and it was all kinds of stories. Eventually, the building was removed, and a new wall was built, and the street was restored. The lot where 22 Alta once sat is still there. There's big disputes going on whether it can be developed safely. And those stairs that you see in that are are, are what's called the Filbert Street stairs. They are, because of the rockfall that occurred, the new stairs were built, and they were built in a manner that when rock falls occur, they can actually lift the stairs out and put them down on the ground and allow cranes to get back there to access the rock fall. And beyond that, the, the
0: building that we can see in this photograph that was built at the bottom of that rock fall was actually designed to allow rocks to fall off and, and be uh, impounded by the building, and then you could get a dozer in there and clear the stuff away.
1: The lower 50 feet is designed to take the impact of a five-foot diameter boulder. That's the corner of Sansom and Green. Yes. Every couple of years, there's a rock fall that occurs behind that building.
2: Now we're on uh, Russian Hill. This is the most beautiful location of exposed bedrock on Russian Hill, across the street from the Art Institute on Chestnut.
1: That's it. That, that's the, That entire setting is, I mean, irrespective of geology, that's just a beautiful setting to go into that art institute, go up under that deck and the panorama of the city. And the, Can't beat it. Yeah.
2: Now we're on Leavenworth Street uh, around the corner of Chestnut or Francisco.
1: These walls are common throughout the city, and they were built as part of the, the stimulus package following the Great Depression, and uh, they're known as the Noe Street Wall, uh, the, the Noriega Wall, uh, the Leavenworth Wall. And they were well engineered, and, and, and at that time, because of the depression and all, really gave 100 percent to the work that they were doing. So these, even today, these walls, you see very little movement in these walls. They're performing well, if you check them against earthquake loads. They're more than adequate to resist any earthquake load you can throw at them. So I applaud the results of that stimulus package
2: This particular slide illustrates a bunch of things. One, the hill seen beyond going down off the lower roadway uh, goes down quite steeply to Bay Street and soon thereafter hits the point w- which is artificial fill so you can see dramatically the natural naturally occurring landform and then the, a sort of a filled terrace this is also, which goes out to the water. This is also interesting in that you can see Alcatraz and Angel Island beyond which of course are the natural peaks of the underground mountains in the bay. That's correct. So this slide wraps up a lot of conditions. Um, is it tied back on the top?
1: No, these walls were designed as gravity walls. The Alta Street wall was a tied back wall. They had a one-inch steel rod at the top, the existing, the, the, the original Alta Street wall, had a one-inch rod that went from the wall to the middle of the street, and in the middle of the street, they cast what's called a dead man, a big blob of concrete. So it went from the wall, you had the rod, and then you had a, a block of concrete. So if the wall st- tried to move, it would engage the rod, which would engage the block of concrete. These were built as, as, as gravity walls. They're very, very wide at the base. Oh, gosh, some of them are six, eight, ten feet wide. And they, they're like dams and and they, they, they're they faced with uh, basalt blocks that came from the quarries in Marin County. And they have uh, performed very well. It's a classic gravity wall, and there's enough friction along the base, and there's a slope on the backside so that there's enough weight pushing down on the wall that keeps it from moving.
2: This is on Broadway, Broadway you know, along... Uh, ridge of Russian Hill
1: that's a completely different design that's a wall where in those this is truly what's called a cantilevered retaining wall it actually is designed to rotate and move Uh, and you can see the quality of construction Uh, they probably what they did in those days is they would take the rock that was present in the vicinity and mix it with the cement and created concrete. So there's no quality control. The strength of that wall varies probably from batch to batch. uh, But it stays. That's a gravity wall with a buttress in it. Those diagonal struts, they're buttresses to keep the wall from moving. Because in this particular case, you can't have the wall moving because the wall is actually providing support to the houses above so you can't tolerate any movement, so they put these angles of concrete called buttresses.
0: What would be under that?
1: That's Grace Cathedral. That's at the corner of California and uh, Taylor. That is The rock under here is Franciscan. It's sandstone. It's probably the hardest rock in, in San Francisco is at this location. We have just recently completed an investigation for the expansion of Cathedral School, and they chose to go down 20 feet below the surface of the street. And it was incredibly hard. It's harder than the concrete that was placed as a foundation. The rock beneath the concrete was 10 times stronger than the concrete that's used to support the building. Okay,
0: moving to another part of the city. This is sort of the eastern side, and Frank, you wanna, can you see this okay? Or yeah, this is, is where?
1: This is Army Street?
0: Yeah, it's down over by Army Street, and headed headed south, southeast.
1: Look at all that stuff. I love that.
0: That is an active city.
1: Yeah. That's, that was and the that old, old, old industrial, a lot of industrial, American Can Company uh-huh. and right. building material, Goodman Lumber. Remember the old Goodman Lumber? and. All, all that good stuff. Oh, wow.
0: And this building is one of the examples of remaining 1906 earthquake damage, by the way. You can see where it's been repaired up above. That is how they repaired the 1906 damage. What, uh, what did they found, these buildings, on these big old brick buildings along the waterfront the back in the early In days? those
1: days, they, they, they used, remember I mentioned early on, Redwood Grillage. They would use a redwood grillage, and they would extend the grillage out far enough so that it spread the load out. But as a geotechnical engineer today, when we go in to evaluate a building like this, we say to ourselves, there's no way that this building should be standing. The bearing pressure that's being imposed on the soil far exceeds the strength of the material that's present, yet it works. So." There could be such phenomena such as arching and other things that are happening to keep the building up. Typically today we would support this building on piles. We would go through the weak soil down into more competent material. What's out here is fill and then bay mud, shallow muds, and then dense sand. Second in Townsend there was a it's called Rincon Hill. At one time Second Street ended at Howard and at that point there was a large hill and the wealthy people of San Francisco lived on top of the hill and the churches were built along Howard. Then the city fathers in the 20s said, let us knock down this hill. Let us extend 2nd Street and it ends at the ballpark now. And so as you move south along 2nd in that whole area, you get into rock. So. Many of these old warehouse buildings as you approach Rincon Hill are sitting on rock. In fact, if you go down to King Street, which is the street that fronts the ballpark, if you cross the street from the ballpark and you look on the sidewalk, there is actually little brass plates that depict the location of the bluff that existed. The, the transition from the beach to the vertical cliffs that existed at 2nd Street, a 2nd and King. All that was taken down and it's now, they built warehouses, uh, now it's condo de- condominium developments and portions of Mission Bay The first building of Mission Bay at 3rd and Townsend, I'm sorry, 3rd and King, is a rock site. But as you go further into Mission Bay, it goes from rock to this weak bay mud. Great neighborhoods. This is, I believe, on uh, 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 Harrison or Folsom. The old Wonder
0: Bread Bakery. The
1: old Wonder Bread, that's right. Yep.
0: A little higher up on
1: Petrero. Remember? Rhode Island and uh, something where rock is exposed right at the surface.
0: So this is interesting. Usually you don't just see a building built on a piece of cut like that. I mean, you'd say, gee, my goodness, isn't this going to erode or you know, yeah. building uh, going to fail?
1: That particular building, if you look closely, the rock has actually receded back because of rock falls, and, the, and it was too expensive to put in foundations. So the foundations for that building sit right on the surface and over the years the rock face has receded to the point now where the footing and the face of the right uh, the face of the bluff come together and, are, are bo- and both are exposed
0: so at some point the building department's going to have to go out and say you know you, you got to do something about this building that's true it's starting to be undermined down at the bottom we hit go down to the bottom of the hill and out toward the uh, bay and there are all kinds of uses there what 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 on earth would they be doing down there Any but they thoughts? what you're
1: what you're looking at here is uh, two things that occur a- along the south waterfront one sand that's mined from dredged from the Sacramento River and the, is actually put on barges and brought down into the bay and the barges dock at pier 80 pier 92 and then they stockpile the sand, and then they wash it, and then they ship it over to the concrete uh, producers, Bodie, Central, and others, uh, Rhodes and Jameson, Hanson. And they, the sand that's coming down the Sacramento River is mixed with the aggregate to make concrete. The other thing that happens down in the, in, in, in this area of San Francisco, we have become... We are becoming more and more a green society. So we're taking concrete, asphalt and we're recycling it and they'll take concrete and they'll put it through they'll put it through a grinder and they'll grind it to different rock sizes and then they'll use that as the aggregate for asphalt or as the aggregate for concrete. So I'm not sure whether this is a sand pile for, uh, for the concrete or whether this is a recycled plant but it's one of them. And and the city has opened up these large piers that are unfortunately no longer being used. We don't have the commerce we had in the old days. It's gone to Oakland because we don't have the rail system on this side of the bay.
0: Classic building. So, some of these old buildings uh, this is 6th Street, but South of Market has some very unusual conditions and settlement and so on. Can you yes, tell may.
1: South of Market. Is this area in green? Uh, that particular picture is at 6th Street, which is right right here, right in the heart of liquefaction land. Uh, some of the largest mag- magnitudes of movement during the 1906 earthquake occurred in this area, what's called Sullivan's Marsh and, and just uh, south of Market and not only did the sand liquefy and settle but when it liquefied because the ground slopes it actually flowed it actually moved laterally and in some areas of of uh, Mission Creek and Sullivan's Marsh that movement was on the order of 15 feet so significant so these everything you see south of market was built after the 1906 earthquake, and the le- the later they were, the longer the period of time between the 1906 earthquake and the time of construction, the more likely people forgot about all the damage that occurred in 1906, so they weren't as sensitive and, and as perhaps cautious as they should be. So many of these buildings that we see south of Market, while they appear to be in excellent shape uh, and are performing well uh, have not been either seismically strengthened or uh, had the subsurface conditions improved. So they're waiting. Uh, they could be damaged. There could be significant damage during a next major earthquake.
2: Frank, Frank that brings, reminds me of uh, one of the central questions I wanted to ask you which is this example really focuses on the point, and that is what would you recommend for someone who's considering buying a building in the way of a consultation with a geotechnical engineer such as yourself just to um, kind of get a little heads up on what they might be facing in the... Lifetime of their ownership of the building.
1: Well, I believe that it's in their best. It's in a, in a prospective buyer's best interest to, if he's buying an existing building in a commercial area, that uh, they consult with a structural engineer to make sure that the building is structurally adequate, and two that they consult with a geotechnical engineer to at least point out to them whether the building they're buying is in a potential. Uh, hazard zone. San Francisco has, not only does it have a liquefaction hazard zone, but it also has a uh, uh, a, uh, hillside stability hazard zone that, while it may be stable statically when the earthquake comes, that these these, these, uh, slopes may fail. So I think, as a minimum, they should have, as a minimum, they should retain the services of a geotechnical and structural engineer, and and there are excellent firms, well-qualified people that come out. I'm not just talking about an inspection service. I'm talking about a licensed structural engineer or a licensed geotechnical. Come out, look around, look at the maps that are available, and write an opinion letter as to the adequacy of the structure or the adequacy of the soil. There's another thing that has to be considered when you're buying a building to the east of Van Ness Avenue and I'm glad you asked that question because I brought with me another, a third map, a third drawing. This uh, map depicts the area of the fire that followed the 1906 earthquake. And the blue is where all the buildings were destroyed or badly damaged by the fire. And as a result... The ashes from that, those fires remained on site, and in those days, lead paint was used. Lead paint was used to paint the sides of the building. Lead is a known carcinogen. Lead is a hazardous material. And what they did was, they took after the earthquake, they took these mounds of sand, such as what occurred, the, what's called the Valencia Street Hills. If you go up Market Street, you know how it starts to climb at golf and continues up. Imagine imagine that that was a much larger hill. They mined 26 million cubic yards of sand out of there, and they mixed it with the debris from the earth, the fire, and they used it to fill basements. So you have sand, ash, pieces of wood, brick. Well... The ash is a hazardous material. Now you come along and buy, choose to buy a site at Sixth and Mission, with the understanding that you're going to demolish that building and build a 60-story building. And you thought you were just going to dig the sand out, the the fill out, and haul it to another site. Well, now you come to find out that material that you were going to move at eight dollars a ton is now going to cost you anywhere from 40 to $78 a ton. So it really has a significant impact on the cost of your project. So if you're out in the sunset and you're buying a single family house, just have your geotech write you a letter saying you're on dune sand. When the earthquake comes, it's going to densify. Your building is probably going to settle three quarters of an inch. Have your structural engineer look at the frame and say, you know what, you've got a real serious soft story here. Lawrence, you can speak to that. A soft story, so you might want to put in some clips and some fasteners and some shear walls to stiffen it up. So but as you, you move east, stories. as you move east, you've got not only the soil issues, the structural issues, but you've got the hazardous waste issue. And if you recall, as a kid, when you, every, every intersection had four gas stations. Now you can't find a gas station anywhere. Well, those four gas stations had leaky tanks. So the other thing we have to deal with in downtown San Francisco is the presence of hydrocarbons in the soil. So,
0: okay, all right.
2: Moving along. Okay, look at so this. Perfect setup for the next question. When we went out on our long walk together, we talked a little bit about the relationship between the nature of a building, primarily its height, and the soil on which it sits. This slide is a good reminder of that.
1: The ground has a natural period. The denser the material, the harder the material, the shorter the period of the ground. Example: Bay mud, which is the material that's present close to the shoreline, and the green area, the ground has a very long period. So when the earthquake comes, the ground actually, the the length of time it takes to go from one to slosh back and forth can be measured in seconds. The deeper the bay mud deposit, the greater the length of time it takes for the motion to go one direction and back. So as you approach soft sites, loose sand sites, bay mud sites, the period of the site is a long period. So now, if you come along and you build a tall building and the ground is going like this, we know that tall buildings, the taller the building, the longer the period. That is, the longer the time it takes to go from one side and back. And, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, there's a rule of thumb that for every story that you add, it adds a tenth of a second to the period. So if you have a 40-story building, you have a building that takes four seconds to go from one side to the other and back. Now, if that four-second building is sitting on 100 feet of bay mud that also has a period of four seconds, and the period of the site and the period of the building get in harmony, what's going to happen is they amplify the motion and the building's going to collapse. Example, the infamous bridge,
2: Tacoma Narrows,
1: the Tacoma, where the wind, in that case it was a wind, but it got in harmony with itself and it collapsed. So what you try to do is you try to put a building on a site so that if the ground is a long period, then you want the building to be short period. If the ground is short period, then you want the building to be long. And that's what happens as you get into the financial district. Quite often, they will go down through the bay mud, put the structure on dense sand that has a very short period, and the building is 40 stories high, has a very long period. So even though the ground is doing this, the building is slowly moving back. So there's less, there's still going to be damage, but there's less risk of damage. Alternatively, what they now use are base isolators and leaf springs and all kinds of different uh, tools that can take the structures and put them out of phase. So when you look at a building such as this, that's maybe a 10-story building. So that means that the period of that building is about a second to a second and a half. It's probably sitting on dense sand or rock and the period of the rock or the dense sand is about a quarter of a second, so it's ideal. So the ground is going like this, and the building doesn't feel it. You feel it, but the building is is not doing damage to your structure.
0: And the building next to it, the dark color building, let's say it's a wood frame building. Just and what are the periods of wood frame buildings like?
1: Period periods are less than a second. But the beauty of a wood frame building is probably the most forgiving type construction. You know it it squeaks it cra- the sure the plaster will crack and all that stuff and if you don't have the soft story to deal with you know right. you just have your cup of coffee and go on with your life so here we are standing up at the i guess this is uh, turtle hill up at the top of it's wood. either called grand view turtle hill or sand mountain depending on what h- how long you've been living there and this is looking uh, north or n-
0: northwest and there's golden gate park Near, in the near uh, background is the Sunset and Golden Gate Heights, and then in the background is the Richmond District.
1: Well, one other important point. Way out to the end there is uh, Fort Miley, the Veterans Hospital. Right. Here's Fort Miley. See this purple? Rock, 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 rock. Here's Hunter's point. And that rock that's along there is called serpentinite. Remember I told you that the predominant rock types are sandstones, shales, and, 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 and chert? Well, along this zone, there's another rock type, it's a volcanic rock, it's serpentinite. Now, what's so important about serpentinite? Serpentinite is a very treacherous rock. You can see it, if you, if you go up market, you see it with a mint, the rock that's exposed in that cut is serpentinite. It can be as hard, it can be a very hard material. Or it can have the consistency of soap. So if you cut it, it just slides. And why is it like that? Because it's an intrusion. It's it's like it was like toothpaste that was ex- extruded through a crack in the earth. That means there was a shear zone or a fault, hundreds of millions of years ago, where it just actually came up through, and and bubbled out and formed this band of serpentinite. Adjacent to that band of serpentinite, of course, is uh, this wonderful rock called chert, which we're going to get to. But but I just wanted to tell you about this. And what's the other bad thing about serpentinite? Serpentinite contains naturally occurring asbestos. Asbestos is a carcinogen. It's a known carcinogen. Uh, If you go to where St. Mary's Cathedral is, that Cathedral Hill, that's one of these serpentinite outcrops. And there, there's a high percentage of of uh, serpentinite in the rock in the old days and, and I'm talking about the 30s and 20s the San Franciscans didn't bother to deal with uh, disposal companies they would take their garbage out the other side of Twin Peaks dump their garbage down and then shovel sand on top of it so you can have in the old days you could go out there and build uh, your home and be surprised that you would find sanitary a sanitary landfill or construction debris landfills. So they were prevalent out in the avenues. Is
0: this Twin Peaks? That's going up to Twin Peaks. being developed. Mount Sutro? That's, that's Mount Sutro.
2: Sutro.
1: Mm-hmm. There's Mount Sutro today. Landform doesn't change no. too much. Well, the, the eucalyptus trees have gotten a lot taller. There you go. That's the hill leading up to the top of uh, Mount Sutro. The, 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 that's Warren Drive. Uh, Kirkham, Fifth Avenue, in that area of San Francisco. Uh, right here. UCSF, it's all this area right here.
0: And it's a sort of an earthquake hazard microzone because of the Laguna Honda Drainage Way. Is that right? That's now? right.
1: Again, another example of the WPA. These are the Moraga Street Stairs. They wanted to get to the top of the hill, so they built these beautiful walls and stairways. And they're still there, and they're performing really well. So all these steep uh, hillsides have catalyzed
0: the design and construction of interesting foundations and
1: sub-framing. Up there you find quite often they, because it's rock, they dug little holes, filled it full of concrete, and put poles up, and then built their building. And they've been there 40, well actually now 60, 70 years. But
0: some of these are significant earthquake hazards as well.
1: Many of them, because they're not properly braced, because they're not, the foundations aren't deep enough, uh, the consequences could be significant during an earthquake.
0: The tunnel in West Portal opened that whole section up to development, yeah. I believe. Is that, did that lead to Parkside? Did this go
1: out to the Parkside area? This led to that whole... It opened up. West Portal is right here. Here's Sloth. So here's West Portal area. It opened up this whole area down here, with a reservoir off a slope. It opened up that that what you're looking at. The tunnel was built in two different ways. One was cut and cover, and the other was an actual tunnelling machine where they tunnel underground. But as they came close to the sides of the hills, they actually dug down vertically, took the dirt out, and they took the dirt in this particular, the West Portal side. They took all that dirt and they placed it as fill. They placed it as fill all along the lower part of Market Street and uh, Sigmund Stern Grove that whole area there they filled in that ravine so thank you all very much it was a heck of a tour of San Francisco
0: thanks for your uh, attendance we hope to see you every third Thursday here at the building department